Coming up next, Harry Potter, the boy who lived. The boy who lived. Welcome to the Book of the This is Nathan Alberts, and your humble and obedient host, joining you for yet another episode of the Booking. And let's get right to it, folks. It's too exciting. We're talking about Harry Potter. We did our, our first episode. It was all about the context of Harry Potter. Joe rolling, 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 as we heard she was called. You can listen to that one. Then we did an episode about why Christians shouldn't read Harry Potter. So that was episode number two. That was an exciting episode. We just made the case, and I think we did a pretty good job, actually, that Christians shouldn't read Harry Potter. And then we did another episode making the case that Christians should read Harry Potter, or at least, you know, not that they have to, but that it is permissible and that we would not stop reading it. So now, finally, after all that legwork, we are getting to the part where we're going to do our baggage. We'll talk about what baggage we brought to Harry Potter, and then we'll talk about Harry Potter itself and what we like, what we don't like. We'll offer some analysis, some insight, but let's meet our panelists, my two best friends in the whole wide world. That's right. First of all, we've got, well, he's the scholar who's a baller of reading. He's Brandon Chastine. How you doing, Brandon? Doing great, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to be here. Is the fan off? The fan is off. What about all the fans of the booking? Are they off? I don't think they're off today, Nathan. No. I think they're on. They're listening. That's they're right. They're listening. They're connected. They've got their headphones, their speakers. Yeah. Maybe some fans on, too, while they're listening. If it's hot. The fans may have fans on. You're not following. I'm going to talk to Jake now. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't very nice. Fair enough. That wasn't very... Brandon tries to play along with my lame conceit, and <laughs> then I punish him that's what for I it. get. <laughs> it's almost like you're Snape to my Harry Potter. I you, you sunk to my level, and then I hit you with an abracadabra. That's right. And killed you I'm right dead. where you stood. Yep. So Did that happen with Snape? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that, okay. you know. <laughs> Why a spoon, cousin? It hurts more, you twit. <laughs> it hurts more, you twit. <laughs> it's dull. Oh, he's got it. Oh, 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 I have a machine gun. <laughs> That is not Rickman. <laughs> no, I, I didn't say I could do a Rickman. A celebrity. I think the point is me and Brandon aren't good at doing Alan Rickman, but the master <laughs> of doing Alan Rickman, of course, <laughs> and the pastor is a master of reading. Let's face it. It's Jake Menzel. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing well. How are you, Nathan? Let's hear a little bit of your famous Rickman. My famous Alan Rickman. <laughs> your famous this Alan This is good Rickman. stuff, guys. You ready? This is good stuff. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. <laughs> oh, I know you can Whoa. do that. <laughs> All right. I'll ask you in my <laughs> terrible Alan Rickman, and then Brandon will do his <laughs> horror. Jake. <laughs> us in rickman <laughs> I can't do a Rickman, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, but you can. <laughs> Join us, Jake. The water's fine. Always. <laughs> Always. Fine. <laughs> can you do a Voldemort? Or Voldemort, as they say. I'll do a, I'll do a Voldemort for you. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> That's what he does. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> 
<laughs> I want to cut over <laughs> <laughs> the boy who lived. The boy who lived. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> hey, what's that sound? Oh no. Airplane going over. I thought it was the guns again. Nope. <laughs> it's the airplane indicating badge. Badge check? Badger check. Badger check. Indicating badger check. Check the badger. Part of the show where we check the badgers. Brandon, check the badgers. They are badgers. They are badgers. You've confirmed that the badgers are in fact. Yes, they are in fact badgers. Badgers. All right. I meant to say baggage check. The part of the show where we discuss our baggage. Jacob, what baggage did you bring to Harry Potter? Sheesh. I never read Harry Potter. True or false, Harry Potter is 20 years old now. Isn't that what we said in context, Brandon? Yes. So uh, in America, uh, Sorcerer's Stone was released in 98. Or Philosopher's Stone, as I like to call it. Philosopher's Stone was released in the UK before that. That's true. That's true. So My understanding is that the Sorcerer's Stone was released 20 years ago in the States. Philosopher's Stone, I think, was 96. Was it? Yeah, so 22 years ago. So Gotcha. In any case, you've had almost 20 years, if not 20 years, to process the phenomenon that is... Harry Potter, your thoughts? I missed it. You just missed it. Missed it. Did you have a reaction to it when you saw the kids at school? And surely you remember. I people... don't remember seeing the kids at school. Really? I don't. I remember feeling. So you really just did miss it? Yeah, I, I missed it. I felt. I think it was. It feels to me. It's always felt to me that it was just younger than me. <laughs> the, the whole wave. I just wasn't on my radar when the movies came out. It was like kids' movies. I just thought it was something else. My brothers, maybe. Right. So did you have any relationship with it or thoughts about it or no. baggage that you brought to it before we read it? You'd be, sh- I, don't, I don't know that I can actually tell you now what I didn't know, but I think you'd be shocked by what I, what I didn't know about Harry Potter, or the wizarding world, or just even some of the, the things around it. I knew the name Harry Potter. I knew Hermione. <laughs> did you know, know what a muggle was? Maybe. Did you know that Dumbledore died? Spoilers, by the way, folks, from here on out. No. Spoilers. No, I didn't know that Dumbledore died, but I knew that he was a person. I knew that the actor who played Dumbledore died. Did you know the other? Did you know which direction Snape was going to go for sure? No, I didn't know. That's weird. I don't think I knew that. I actually think the Dumbledore thing is really weird because that's just one of those things like Dumbledore died. It's like it's almost a meme. It's like one of those. It's kind of like saying Bruce Willis was a ghost or it's just one of those kind of twists that people talk about. I actually can remember, for whatever random reason, the fact that I've alluded to Dumbledore dying multiple times in your presence, which you managed to avoid remembering. Or I just, the whole world was... So I mean, meaningless to you. That- yeah, I did, none of it stuck. Like anything that I would have heard or picked up. And I was surprised when I read it how much I did had absorbed. So I, I'm going to guess and say that I did know what a muggle was and some other things like that, but I don't know. Like, Did you have knew, mental images of Quidditch the actors? What? Of uh, Radcliffe. But not Watson or Grint? Maybe Watson. Maybe maybe younger Rupert Grint. Okay. From movie posters or whatever. Did you know the John Williams? No. No. Interesting. So you really did just come to this. Almost blank. Like a babe. Almost blank, yeah. I knew that Alan Rickman was in it because I like Alan Rickman. Did I you? didn't know that Maggie Smith was McGonagall. I didn't know even that there was such a person as McGonagall. Dumbledore, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Dumbledore I would have known about. Harry and Hermione and probably Ron I would have known existed. And the name Snape I would have known. Mm-hmm. And the name Voldemort. And I think that's about the extent of it. I didn't even know what the wands looked like. 
I was imagining like wands from Willow. Interesting. As I read until I kind of got the picture that we're talking about a much more polished product. Mm. But that's kind of like when I imagined Harry Potter wands, I imagined something very different than what they were. Were you aware of it as a thing with a tremendous amount of cultural weight and influence? No, nowhere near what it actually was. I think that changed some when I was in college. I use Campus is when I was in college, I remember lots of people comparing it and parts of it to Hogwarts. So I knew the name Hogwarts, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I I just sort of had a category for it and that was kids and dorks. Not my kind of thing. Interesting. That's very interesting. I think we're going to have three different perspectives on this thing. Actually, maybe not. Maybe me and Brandon have the similar perspective. Let's find out. Brandon, Mm -hmm. what baggage did you bring to old HP? To old HP. Mm-hmm. Um, By which I mean Hewlett Packard. Okay, well, we had our first Hewlett Packard, I think, when I was around five. Nice. Yeah, it was a nice desktop computer in our... I think HP was my first computer, too. Yeah. We had a gateway Maybe a gateway, too. yeah. Yeah. My first computer was an Apple. HP to gateway is, I yeah. think, the way that we... I had an gateway. Apple way back when Apple was cool before Apple actually became cool again, but, like, there was a brief window of time When back it was in, cool, but maybe, yeah. My mom had for her business had used Apple. And then I remember Apple became not cool at all. And it it was so stupid and lame that we had an Apple and everybody was switching over to Windows machines. And then we did that and we were cool for a while. And then suddenly uh, to my chagrin, I realized, oh no, Apple's cool again. Yeah. Yeah. So So that was our experience with HP. That's right. And you use, uh, sometimes I've seen you read context off of a Hewlett Packard little uh, thing. It's a surface. Surface, yeah. Yep. So is that all you want to know? Yeah, that's it. All right. Thank you for playing. All right. No, no, no. Are we being funny, Nathan? Yeah, we're being Uh, funny. Yeah. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. So my experience with Harry Potter, I'm going to have to. So actually my first experience with Harry Potter was going to see the movie, which came out when? I don't remember. Uh, we said uh, 2001. Is that what we said? No, I think it was 2000. I think we looked at the movie of Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, Sorcerer's Stone. When did that come out? I'm trying to remember if I had just gotten married or was about to get married. Good job, Nathan. I called it. Your movie came out in 01. In 01. So we would have been 16. That's when laughed. Yeah. We went, I went out to see the movie. I remember with her mother and my wife, we went to see it. And I had no clue what this was other than a movie based on children's books that I had not read. I knew that they were children's books that a lot of people loved. My cousins read them. My wife had not read them at that point, I don't believe. But we went to see this movie. I thought it was fine. I thought it was charming. But fast forward a couple years, I go to undergrad and I really get into Harold Bloom. Mm -hmm. And so I remember reading some stuff that Harold Bloom was writing and I came across his essay on Harry Potter. And that just made my day. I just, it it completely exonerated me from ever having to read. He is very humorously dismissive of Harry Potter. Oh, he hates Harry Potter. And he hated the fact that J.K. Rowling was becoming an important uh, writer. He thought that this was a sign of how bad literary the, the the literary scene was at the time. You know who else he hated? Who that? Stephen King. Yes, he's not a big King fan. Yeah, he has a famous essay when Stephen King won the some award from like the National Book Critics Society or something like a Lifetime Achievement Award, basically. It was mm-hmm. the equivalent of winning one of those. And Harold Bloom just went on a long rant against Stephen King. Well, Harold Bloom, of course, famously said that you should read Edgar Allan Poe, but only when he's been translated into into French and then back into English. Mm. So anything that the proletariat kind of reads, Harold Bloom is maybe not 
always a fan of. Yeah, and so Harold Bloom, it made sense at that time that he was a critic I was drawn to for various reasons. One, is this really a Harold Bloom podcast? <laughs> he can be. Oh, why, why not? Let's talk moment. about the people out there. They care about Harold Bloom. I actually met, heard. I heard someone mention Harold Bloom not too long ago mm-hmm. to me. And so the thing, people either hate Harold Bloom or they love him. He's one of the last real conservative critics in the sense that he is kind of a liberal himself, but conservative in the sense that he actually just reads books. Yeah. And he's not trying to historicize them or make them into some political statement. So he's not trying to queer theorize them. Right. And so he was really unpopular at the time when I went to undergrad because everybody was trying to queer theorize everything. It was the queer eye for the academia. That's what everybody was doing. <laughs> and so everybody hated Harold Bloom because he was all about the canon. Right. Right. And so he wanted to talk only about Shakespeare and Jane Austen. And he would have been fine with those podcasts we were doing, but he absolutely hated everything else. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have been a big Ready Player One. No, he wouldn't have been. He and I would have been on the same page there. <laughs> but and he absolutely hated Harry Potter. He hated any of these books that he saw as being stylistically beneath him mm-hmm. because style was very important for him. And I remember him going on a rant in his Harry Potter essay about where he, he I think he literally, t- I want to say he tallies up certain cliches that Rowling uses over and over again. So he says, like, I counted 15 times where she says Harry stretched his legs. Like anytime a character goes for a walk, it's always they stretch their legs. How much many times do we have to hear about a character stretching their legs, which might sound like snobbery, but it is actually the kind of thing that exhausts me about reading Harry Potter a little bit. So maybe I'm a snob, but anyway. Yeah. And so that sort of thing frustrated him and just the cliched story frustrated him. He thought that there were a lot of um, cheap characters. And so I was able to use that and throw off Harry Potter and never even try reading him until the year before the seventh book was released, which I forget when that was, but that would have been when I, I was so I kept growing not growing. We kept time kept growing. Mm-hmm. Time kept that 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 happens on into the future. Time kept passing. Mm-hmm. We get to the third movie, and I actually liked that one. Yeah, it was a good I thought movie. it was a great movie because it was by a director I liked. It was an interesting movie to watch, um, and I was like, hey, maybe there's something here. And so by the time the seventh book was going to be released, I decided to finally read Harry Potter and enjoyed it. Read the six books, and then when the seventh book came out, I went and I bought it so that my wife could read it immediately. And then when she was done, I read it. Mm-hmm. like in two nights. I liked it. So it gripped me. And that's around the time some things were changing, even in my life. That was getting near the end of my undergrad career, I would say. This would be in 07, by the way. 07, yeah. It would have been, you know, I would have right at the end of my undergrad career. Mm-hmm. Right as I was applying to go to Harvard to try and study under Harold Bloom. Mm-hmm. Which didn't happen. No doubt. Yeah, I was going to ask how that worked out for <laughs> you. It didn't work out at all. <laughs> but I think important point to make that I always enjoyed the movies. And that's actually what got me into Harry Potter more than the books. But when I actually read the books, I enjoyed them. But the movies were always at the top of my, or in the front of my mind when I was, when I, even now when I think about Harry Potter, I think more of it through the lens of Michael Gambone and Alan Rickman. And mm-hmm. um, even when I read the books, I see those characters as opposed to anything before that. So I don't have the experience of having read the books first. Yes. The movies came first for me. And as we might find out, they still come first for me. Yes, indeed. Well, I said we would have three different points of view, but we actually may just have two because my baggage is actually very similar to yours. I remember first being aware of Harry Potter because it was a book that kids who were younger than me in school would simply have, and they would be reading it. And I remember it being, I'm sure a lot of people have the same memory. I remember it being very striking that everybody was just reading this book that 
you know, these little kids would have a book that was almost as big as them once the later, you know, four, five, and six started coming out. And they were just these massive tomes that you'd see little kids carrying around on the beach or whatever. It's just like, why is everybody reading books? People don't read books. What's the what's the deal with this? And these people don't read books. My brothers don't read books. I was always the guy that read books. I'm, I'm the nerdy kid in the family. I'm the one that read King Arthur and the Odyssey and all that stuff. And suddenly my brothers are reading these books. And it was just very strange. But I do remember, like Jake said, except for I'm me and Brandon are one year younger than Jake and I think that one year maybe made me at least a little bit more aware of what was going on with the generation under us I don't know that's just a random theory I came up with off, off the top of my head maybe it's not true but I was very aware that the people immediately under me my brothers three my brothers are three and five years younger than me were reading Harry Potter and that they were really into it I didn't know why and as I do a hundred percent of the time in my life i had a chip on my shoulder about it because it was something that was popular that everyone liked i always approach those things with extreme suspicion if not disdain the disdain part's bad the suspicion part i think is good i think when something's really popular you should be willing to ask why and you should maybe approach it with a little extra caution just you know why not so I was always kind of like, eh, this Harry Potter thing, I don't know. Actually, that's being too kind to myself. That's how I should have been. But what I was actually like was, ugh, Harry Potter, this is something dumb that, you know, my dumb brother's like. And then my friend who was like a homeschool kid who had read Harry Potter and was willing to just kind of be a weird person our age that was willing to read this nerd thing and all his younger siblings had read the thing he and his sister wanted to go see the first movie when it came out no one and they dragged me along and i was actually delighted by it i know that movie is kind of vanilla and lame and uh you know it's directed by chris columbus who did the home alone and all that kind of stuff so people don't you know that's nobody's favorite movie unless they're five but I actually just really liked this story. I thought it was, you know, the owls and the slow build. And then he goes to school and he learns all this stuff. And it's like a typical schoolboy experience, but it's done through the lens of magic. And what would a sport be like in the magic world? And what would this be like in a magic world? And what would that I thought that was really fun. And then I tracked with the movie, the, num- the movie number two, which is one of the worst movies of all time because it's got Dobby the house elf and he's even worse than Jar Jar and he's horrible and it's painful and you want to rip your ears out. And then the third movie, like Brandon alluded to, was great, directed by a very stylish director. And that's when I decided, okay, I have to read these books. So I didn't bother because I didn't have enough respect for the series ever reading one or two. And also because I understood that the movies were very close. I actually think at a certain point later in my life, I skimmed one and two just to see kind of what I missed, read about nearly headless Nick's party and some of the stuff that maybe I'd skimmed over. But I have read three, which is a horrible book. And then four, five, six, and seven. False. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I really don't like time travel. I think it's really lame. Also, serious Black set up in a really obvious way. I don't know. Not a big fan of three, but we can talk Mm. about that. I know it's most people's favorite book, and I think most people are just wrong and crazy. And these are the kinds of fun discussions that you can have about Harry Potter, right, guys? What if most people include Jake and Brandon? Two people in this room. Well, you guys would be wrong. That's okay. I love you anyway. I forgive you, my sons. (laughs) It's okay to be wrong. You guys have to learn to love yourselves. You have to learn to accept the fact that, you know, sometimes you don't always get everything right. Sometimes we choose our friends poorly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Each other, maybe. (laughs) You're both friends. You're both friends with people that think the third book's great. Um, Three and seven. They're the two best. Seven, obviously the best. 
we'll rank them. You know what? We'll rank them right after we get done with baggage because that'd just be a fun thing to go into next. But uh, let me finish baggage. I read them all. I remember five being a slog because Harry was hitting puberty and ugh. And then, but six and seven were good. I like Brandon primarily. We'll talk about this a lot more as we go, but I primarily- I also like him. Yeah, I like Brandon primarily. Great. Um, And also Jake. (laughs) And uh, I- much in a similar manner to Brandon, did see the movies first, certainly was imagining those characters played by those actors. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I like the movies better. I think the books are good. I think everything about Harry Potter is good, but there's nothing that's so exceptional. And the pro style is pretty pedestrian. And is there really anything that demands your that you read those books instead of just get the gist of the story through watching these fantastic movies with these fantastic British actors. Eh, We'll talk about it more, but my opinion is that the movies are the best uh, because you get, you know, Ray Fiennes and Alan Rickman and stuff like that. Michael Gambone. Now, there may be someone in this room that disagrees. I don't know. There may be two people. We'll find out. But uh, yeah, that's basically my baggage. I ended up really liking it. I do really like it. I do quite enjoy the books and quite enjoy the movies. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it with you fellas further. Now, let's go ahead and rank. Jake, rank. It's actually pretty tough for me to do because I read them all so closely together. That they're all kind of... It's uh, that especially the... uh, I would say four, five, and six, they blur in my mind. Well, I just want to make a quick point about that. Part of the fun of the series was that it came out over a period of what would have been 10 years or so. And part of the fun of the movies was watching those kids grow up and watching them all grow into pretty convincing good actors. And there was no guarantee that that was going to happen. And it was fun. And it was fun that Grant and uh, Watson and what's his face, Radcliffe, all actually signed on for a billion dollars to do those last couple movies, even though that was up in the air, I remember, halfway through the series. That was an enjoyable part of experiencing both the movies and the books that Jake I missed out on all missed that. out on that and you I missed read out all the on books in like start to finish in three weeks then watched all the movies right and I'm not I don't and I didn't even watch the movies between books so I read all the books at once and then I watched all, watch the, all the movies which is a heck of a way to experience it I don't begrudge you that but there was something fun about I think especially for kids that were just a little bit younger than us who got to start reading those books as kids and then be adults or young adults by the time they ended I mean how much fun to actually grow up and Rowling did such a great yeah, job yeah a lot of, of people make the case that and I've had people tell me oh yeah your kids should read Harry Potter, but you should only let them read a book a year and start when they're 11 and grow up with. And I'm deaf on that kind of weird stuff, like where people are going to do some weird scheme for parents. But that actually makes a ton of sense with Harry Potter. It's, it's, and I, there's merit to, to waiting on some of those older books. Yeah. I mean, there's merit to, if you're going to let your kid read Harry Potter, there's merit to letting them start at 10 or 11 when Harry's the same age and also giving some space before you get to some of the older books. So they grow mm. up and they get darker. Yeah. And they introduce things that... Like snogging. Like snogging. You got a lot of snogging in those books. Lots. Lots of snogging. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I completely agree. And I think... But but part of the fun and part of the genius of the books is that she let them grow up with the kids that were reading them and she let them get dark. And I mean, it's just... It's really good. But anyway, Jake, you're on the spot. You got to rank. I'm sorry. Um... We've established it might be difficult so, to for So three you. was the first book that I read that I thought, oh, this is a good book. Um, one and two were fun in their way. And all the first three books I enjoyed, they were all tight and, and fun kids' books, I thought. And we could talk about 
some of the problems I had with with one in particular. And, you know, you sort of ease in and adapt to an author's prose style sure. as you go. Um, but I had some trouble with one, but I adapted, I adjusted. I thought three was good. Mm-hmm. And I just really loved that one. It, four was trying to do a whole lot of different things. So I respected what she was trying to do with it, but I don't think that she pulled it off. I wish she had tightened it up a lot more than it was. Five and six were both something of a slog, but I think six was better. I think five's probably the maybe the worst. Is it the um, worst because it's actually, she messed up or is it just hard to struggle through puberty? Is it actually artfully the worst? Artfully the worst. Like, did she, she's writing about a difficult time in and Hogwarts so history. And so uncomfortable and, and you know, yeah, no, no, no. I don't think, I think it's just kind of annoy, an annoying slog. What I think happened, and I said this and then I can, to you and then you confirmed it for me or we confirmed it together that yes this is fascinating this was a good job of detective work on your part yeah when i was and i don't remember which one if it was four or five but there was a certain point where i said now it feels like she's she's writing actually the screenplay here and writing to actors and actresses instead of Writing the char- writing for the characters that she's created. Before she was just writing Snape, now she's writing Alan Rickman. Now she's writing Alan Rickman. Yeah. Before she was writing McGonagall, now she's writing Maggie Smith. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that it was right after, that it was the first book published after the movie started coming out. Right. Whichever one that was, if that was four or five. What's the name of four? Four is Scout But a Fire. Scout But a Fire, of course. Um, I think McGonagall was one of the, it was one of the big ones where, and Flitwick, both took on a different character um, and started to conform to the... to. Well, Snape have the, one of the largest Snape. transformations. Yeah. The Snape of books one, two, and three is not the He's same. He's a very petty small man in one, two, and three. But by four or five, whichever one it is, he's... Uh, He's Alan Rickman. Order of the Phoenix was the first one actually published after the movies. I came thought out. it was five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, presumably four was written while the movies were in production. Yeah, sort four, of four felt like a. Uh, I, I respect four as a transitional book where she's she's saying, okay, we're going to make this bigger, we're going to make this more epic, mm-hmm. we're going to take give it a really dark turn, uh, and we're going to do some transitional things. Harry's going to notice a girl for the first time, and so we're hitting puberty. There's a lot going on, yeah. and I don't think that. Uh, she pulled that all off as well as she could have. Right. But I respected her using that book as a real sort of shift in tone <clears throat> and tenor and where she was taking the series. Right. Um, she, by the way, says that five, five is Order of Phoenix, correct? She says Order of Phoenix is a book that she wishes she could go back and I think it, I think it's the worst one. She, she I think would, it's the she, worst she, she book in the best that, movie. Yeah. It's one of the best movies. I agree. She wishes she could do what? She wish she just wishes she, she she could go back and recut it because it's she thinks it's a bit of a slog. She let it go yeah. on for too long. It just needed. needed yeah, I'm to be trying better. to work through it right now. Six six was okay. Seven, I felt like she finally pulled together what was really working for her in the first three books on the scale that she was trying to operate on in four, five, and six. Right. And so I think seven is probably my number one for that reason, and then three would would be my number two and then i don't know where to put four one and two Mm -hmm. they're right there six i don't know i just don't know five's at the bottom of the books for sure and i think i'm gonna go seven three and then uh, i'm I'm not sure how to how to pull the rest of them interesting brandon well i've got to do it too yes everyone has to do it oh let's go with I haven't finished six and seven again yet, mm-hmm. so I'm just trying to remember now. I remember liking six a little bit better than I think Jake did, but that's just 
going by memory. Mm-hmm. So bottom is definitely five. Right. Then I think it would be the top would be seven and three. Mm-hmm. I agree with Jake there. Mm. You're I know. Half right. Uh, whatever. Uh, it might actually be seven, three. Was six good? I don't remember. I think six was good. Yeah. I remember the movie was good. Seven, three. I think maybe six. One and two tied. Yeah, I think one and two. One and the, two are just kind of the same book yeah. almost. I mean, it's like it's they another. They have the same vibe, the same feel, the same length, the same tightness about them in yeah. certain respects. I, two has the wonderful Tom Riddle. I am Lord Voldemort. That was that was cool. Two has a cool ending, that. but it's the kind of cool ending that. You get you get lots of those kinds of climaxes come the last couple of books. It just mm-hmm. feels kind of like, oh, this is the first time where it kind of feels like an epic sort of mystery coming together kind of feeling. At least that's how I remember it. In one and two. In, in two specifically. Two, yeah. Yeah. Two, you didn't know for sure that Voldemort was going to be who he's dealing with in every book. You know that there's an end game with Voldemort, but you don't know that she's going to try to do that, that it's always going to come down to Voldemort in the end. And so that boom, it's Voldemort again. Right. And I, you know, and he's just Tom Riddle, you know, whatever. That was, that was neat. And what she did with Jenny and yeah, it was fun. It was just fun. Yeah. Darker elements come into it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Phoenix it's... song. And so your, what was your list, Brandon? Did you finish it? I think so. Oh, seven, three, six, mm-hmm. one, two, four. Five. Am I missing one? No, no that's it. I don't I th- think so. I, I think I can buy into that. Yeah. Now the correct list would be seven, six, four, five, whoa, three, whoa, one, two, whoa. You are wrong, Nathan. Well, very, one, one and two. Wrong. I'm just tying kind of and putting them at the bottom. Uh, one through three are. Have you read the Order of the Phoenix? Yeah. Or no. Have you yeah. Have you read Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets? Actually, and have you read actually read uh, Prisoner? Just to be clear, I have read three through seven completely. Okay. I have seen the movies and skimmed one and two. So let's just leave one and two out of my rankings. I don't deserve to be able to put them on my list. So uh, maybe they go very high. I don't know. Uh, but my list of the other five would go seven, six, four, five. Three. Wow. Can't stand three. Can't stand anything about three. Hate the Dementors. Hate Sirius Black. Hate time travel. I know these are all controversial. And Lupin. These are very controversial. Love Lupin. Love and the Lupin. Marauders map. Marauders map is good. Uh, hate is a strong word. My, and the Patronus. My dear listeners, I like all the Harry Potter books, but and just in, just for fun and to be a grump, I'm gonna say three is. Your Ready Player One. Three is my, it's not my Ready Player One. It's a good book. All Harry Potter's good. But within the relative ranking of Harry Potter, three has, I really don't, the, the way that the plot works out with Sirius Black, it's just obvious from go the word go that he's going to be a good guy and it's just, you're waiting for it. And then there's nothing particularly elegant about the way it works out. There's somebody trying to kill him. Yeah. But I don't know. Did you see the movie first? No, I think with three. I don't remember. I just don't remember. Time travel. You know, I'm pretty good at pl- at figuring out plot before it happens, and I felt that she did a good job of making it not 100 percent obvious. Well, I don't things in the air. I, I admit that Black you are gonna... you are fantastic. You are the one of the best. If you are definitely the best person I know at figuring that plot out before it happens. But I just remember Sirius Black being like. Oh, gee, what else is she going to... I mean, it's like, it's looking this way, like the sleight of hand is here. And so I just remember that particular thing. And usually Rowling's really good at that stuff. That one didn't get me for whatever reason. Well, I think one of the things that I love most about it is how inevitable it feels once it's happened. 
Right. But I feel like her greatest strength and what I love so much about Seven is that what she does really well is she lays out all the pieces, a whole bunch of pieces on the chessboard Mm -hmm. really early on and then uses them and builds them into the story in really uh, subtle, incredible ways. So there are detail, there'll be a detail that's telling you something about this scene in itself is doing enough work to merit being there. So you pass over it and then it comes back later and is a part of a bigger piece of the puzzle. She's really good at that. And in seven, because she's working with something so big, I mean, it's just, she's just laying out all the pieces. What's, what's an example of that just for our listeners? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of them. I'm trying to think what a good example is. A detail that tells in the moment, but also pays off later. Uh, the Beatles, the Beatle and Rita Skeeter mm-hmm. is a, is a decent example. This is a, it's probably one of the lamer examples, but it, I think that if you go back and you look at the the times where, you know, a beetle was buzzing and creating some atmosphere here or there or was being slapped off of somebody's face, it's subtle enough that it's just adding character it, it, and used in a way that's adding character to the moment. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, the, this is how, it, you know, that's that's a, that's a more hackneyed version of the kind of thing that she would that she that she's really good at right i i think i came into three respecting enough her ability to sort of keep you off balance or to to even make things come together in ways that are unexpected but feel inevitable enough to really sort of question or hold well maybe maybe she would actually maybe she's getting me twice here Mm mm-hmm you know, maybe Sirius isn't actually going to be the obvious good guy. Maybe, you know, maybe I just need to watch out and enjoy how this plays out instead of jump to that con- that seemingly obvious conclusion. Right. And yeah. so I maybe I just was overthinking it, but I just I think that she's really good at that sort of thing. I, I, I agree. I think it's a great strength that <clears throat> the particular example of Sirius Black's true motives was not one that worked for me, but the books are so full of them that if I can, you know, it's like the one thing. Uh, I think the movies are not able to do justice to her ability to do that sort of thing by virtue of the medium. Mm -hmm. That's what I love most about the books. That's what gets lost most in the movies and things are, are that much more obvious in plain. And I think that's why, why I disagree with you in favor of the books to the movies. Well, I haven't. I don't know that we've quite decided. We may do a whole episode. We may even we may we may put the movies and books on trial against each other. We'll see. That'd be fun. I think that would be fun. So maybe we'll save the movie discussion. But Brandon, your thoughts on on what everything that Jake just said on everything that Jake just said, every single point that he made on J.K. Rowling and plot. Yeah. Well, no, I agree that it's one of her strong suits. I think it can be one of her weaknesses too. I think that in the. Uh, it's particularly like in the early books, The Sorcerer's Stone. It be- she became so obsessed with having like each professor have their own e- e- challenge that you had to pass to get to the Sorcerer's Stone that it, it was a little cheesy. Mm-hmm. And that can that especially also comes out then later in the books with the Horcruxes because it's a little unbelievable that they would be that easy to find. Yeah. Right? That this... And so... Yeah, one of the favorite criticisms of people is, gee, all the, of all the places you could put a Horcrux. Yeah. And so he would put him in these really easy to find places and her, I mean, the way she tries to justify it is by making you believe that Voldemort's a narcissist. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. the way she tries to sell it. And it works to an extent. I actually think it works better in those cases in the movies. Right. Because it gets, it just happens so fast that you're not even, you don't have time, don't have to, time think to think about, about how about stupid it. this is. Yeah. And so you're not watching them try to fig- figure it out. Really the room of requirement. Right. Yeah. Why would it be in there? 
Because the plot demanded that. It, because the plot demanded, and I think that the that plot then becomes be at Hogwarts in yeah. a place where Harry could find it. Yeah, and so the thing to say then about like the third book, I don't think mystery is always what she's after as mm-hmm. much as the feeling of Hogwarts and the danger and what's playing out and Harry's role in this world. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Harry's always wanting this parental figure and you know that it's going to be serious in the end, mm-hmm. you just know it's going to be. That's not the point of that book is not the reveal of serious. You know that right. from the beginning. Kids figure that out from the beginning. Right. The big reveal is worm tongue. Mm. The fact that you mean worm tail, yeah, yeah, not worm tail. That's yeah. the, <laughs> be the Lord of the Rings crossover. The big reveal there is worm tail. His dad's, yeah, Scabbers. Mm. His dad's role in all of this. Who made the Patronus? All those mysteries. And Harry finding out that he really is going to be that great wizard who can then take on Voldemort in Book mm. Four. Right. That's the point of Book Three, and that's why I like Book Three. It's not about. I mean, if you make it about the reveal with Sirius, yeah, then it's weak. Mm-hmm. But that's not about the reveal with Sirius. That's not the point. Well, I will say, I will say, I, I basically agree. And, and again, I was being hyperbolic earlier. I fully admit it. My apologies. All the books are great. Um, in their way, I actually enjoy all these books, uh, even number five, just on the level of hangout books of and i think this is probably how a lot of kids like them is there they are great escapist literature in the sense that you just want to spend time at hogwarts yeah and that's such a cool fun yeah well realized well envisioned lived in world so even if Hagrid's just burying his pet spider or whatever, it's like let's let's just spend some time with these characters. Like who cares? Or Aragog. If, yeah, if the well, he's I gonna could, cry. Yeah, those spiders. I could do without those spiders. That's one reason to read the books instead of watching the movies. You don't have to look at those creepy spiders. But uh, yeah, I just even the longer, more unwieldy, not particularly as gracefully plotted books. It's like ah, you're hanging out with Harry and these endearing characters, and you're just spending time in a world that's way cooler and sort of warm and medieval feeling and mysterious in a really cool way and in just a world that you'd rather be in than whatever dumb real yeah. world you happen to be at the time that you catch yourself it's reading them. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, and so I actually, and I think that's the strength of what she's done. She's mm-hmm. created this world that is fun to live in. Characters that, despite themselves, are still interesting, despite book five being a slog, even especially with Harry. She mm-hmm. gets so much. And Dumbledore. She gets so much right of what uh, George Lucas got right in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of just having the combination of a really fully developed world mm-hmm. that is cool and exciting to be a part of and you know, fun to imagine yourself in. Yeah. With uh lovable characters and a in a good fun story. Mm-hmm. And that's the strength. Those are the strengths. I don't necessarily story is is the strength. Story is key for her. And I think plot's important there, but actually I I think that plot can sometimes be one of her weaker qualities. Hmm. I think in the later I think in five and six Four, five, and six, especially, it's where she ends yeah. up being pretty weak. But what she's good is she hits those high notes where what we're looking for with Harry's development as a character, Dumbledore's development as his mentor. And that's why I think book five is the biggest failure, is because those two characters fail miserably in that book. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore fails the to be Dumbledore. The ending of five is yeah. miserably yeah. bad. And Harry fails to be... You don't, you're don't. you not convinced that it's because he's struggling with Voldemort, mm. which is what she wants you to end up thinking. She doesn't convince you that that's the case. And so book five's a failure. Now, book three has one of my biggest disappointments too. 
So I do have a beef with book three, and that's because it has the biggest failure with uh, the portrayal of Snape. Mm. Yeah. Because <clears throat> when it all, when Sirius is up in the tower, he's about to be have the Dementors kiss. You hear Snape bragging to the Ministry of Magic how he's probably going to get the Order of Merlin now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just, I could tell in that book that this was before she had seen Alan Rickman play She's Snape. writing this pedantic, yeah, awful and so character, yeah. The things change, it adapts, but by the time you get to book four, I think she does hit her stride with what she's strongest at, which is the story she's telling, the world she's created, and in particular, this threat of Voldemort and what it's going to mean to this school. Snape is so little and petty yeah. in mm-hmm. three. What he is, is a device for Harry is super cool and awesome, but still needs for our purpose is to feel like an oppressed outsider. Yeah. yeah. It's like and the so bad guys in Animal House or something like in some teen comedy where there's got to be the authoritarian. There's got to be that's somebody gonna... that's going to oppress our super cool, awesome. And it's got to be a cartoon character wa- because no yeah. actual person would oppress them this way unless that's they were right, Because he's just that cool yeah. and that awesome. Yeah. Like everybody, like not even Malfoy is a credible threat to Harry for most of because everybody hates Slytherin. Right. Yeah. And everybody hates Malfoy. And Harry's awesome and better at Quidditch than mm-hmm. Malfoy. So Malfoy doesn't have anything on Harry at all. Right. So what you need is an authority figure who can push him around and bully him. Right. And so Snape's whole function is just to be a the the bully who's big enough to be a threat to Harry and to and to make him feel right. Like yeah, it, so it, like a stand in for you mm-hmm. when you feel oppressed. Right. So that is interesting then. I mean, I may be talking myself into ranking one and two a little lower because I do think that what they do is they highlight what she would be weakest at in the later books, which is the plot's great. The plot's fine. Um, What she does with the Horcruxes, I think, is fine. She could have done it better. Sure. But even fantasies, I would argue, are greater, like the Lord of the Rings. They have their problems. Well, this is a magnificent achievement. It's churlish to pick apart. Like, could she have set up something in seven better? Well, yeah, it's like what I was about to point out. It's like the people who make arguments that it's, why didn't the eagles just fly the rings to the Mount Doom? It's like, well, because then you wouldn't have had a story. Yeah. It's like, why why did Voldemort hide his soul in places that could be found? Well, because you had to know that he was beatable. Right. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. I mean, it, that, so it just, that's what happens with these fantasy stories. And then a good author can give us a justifiable reason that this is the case. Mm-hmm. With The Lord of the Rings, it's because we imagine Gandalf had a reason not to. Right. And his, we don't know his ways and we're not supposed to. Right. With this, it's because it's narcissism and I buy it in the end. Yeah. And I think it's fine. So where was I going? Oh, but so just the plot. And so... And what that leads to is when you highlight just the plot, it become the characters become cartoonish, mm-hmm. like you well, were they saying. Are, they're servants of the plot. Yeah, and so I think the weakest, one of the weakest parts of the book's period is the opening chapters of book one, where it's all through the eyes of Uncle... The Dursleys. Yeah, Uncle Vernon or whatever right. his name is. Yeah. And I thought, this is like, so he's good driving down, and he's seeing all the magic people talking and whispering, and he's like, what's going on? And it's just, he's cartoonish. His whole family's cartoonish. And it's not until you get to book four, where Aunt Petunia actually lets lets out that she knows something about Azkaban. That was a good moment. It's because she has grown up, Rowling herself has grown up, to know what she should be writing. It's like later Dickens, actually, Mm -hmm. in a weird way, where Dickens quit being so obsessed, like with Oliver Twist, plot- and became more obsessed with what he was good at, which is stories that mean something to you and characters that you mm-hmm. actually care about. Huh. Everything comes back to Dickens. All, all it point, all comes back to Dickens. I, everything but I, you say is, uh, I, agree, I think I agree with and is fair, but 
I just I also want to say that those first couple of chapters of Sorcerer's Stone end up doing a lot of work that carries a lot of water for the whole series. Yeah, they, just the same. They do. Yeah, the the time of it's a nice conceit. You start from the perspective of the people who are most like you, the Muggles, and that's your introduction. That outside looking into this strange world that you're about to enter into, and then it shifts to Harry. And you cannot have someone be the chosen one without first setting them up as a relatable, oppressed. I mean, maybe she does it cartoonishly, but she is accomplishing a lot by having Harry be the boy that lives under the stairs and nobody likes. It's like In the cupboard under the stairs. That's the only reason Harry Potter is tolerable is because he's set up in that. I'm not taking issue with any of that. What I'm taking issue with is in the first chapter when he's... It's uh, just, Uncle Vernon's going down the street and he's looking around and there are all these strange people crossing. Yeah, it's just unrealistic. There's silver. owls everywhere. And then what else? Oh, Dumbledore's first meeting with McGonagall. Yeah, is, right. um It's silly. He's like talking about lemon drops or something. And you, you don't take either of them. You take... She, I, th- I think the problem is that she hasn't completely realized her world at that point. She didn't, she's uncomfortable in a strange way in the muggle world. Right. And she's not really able to write about it well at that point. I sympathize because, uh, you know, you start writing something like that and it's like maybe 300 pages in, you know how to suddenly write Dumbledore and you find your footing, yeah. but you got to just like try something just to get these characters on paper somehow. So maybe it's her editor's fault. I think her editor probably should have said, well, now you need to go back and rewrite those first couple of chapters. I think J.K. Rowling's editor may be the real life Voldemort of this entire saga. I agree. I mean... Because each one of these books is a good editor away. uh, From from being being, an all-time classic. Being so... Yeah, all-time classic. Being so, so much better. It's just a good editor away. Joe, you need to rewrite this, or we can have our assistants rewrite this a little bit. Beef, beef the prose up, take out some of the cliches. Here's the places where the character beats don't feel inevitable, don't feel real, but feel driven by the plot. You need to, you know, Dumbledore is just hiding That's something. That's all you would have had to say. Yeah, exactly. And then- In any... I'm sorry, but I when I read The Sorcerer's Stone for the first time, and I don't think of myself as... I am an editor, mm-hmm. in fact, mm-hmm. of a publishing company. Mm-hmm. Me too. But I don't think of myself as a great editor. Mm-hmm. But I just sat... Th- I don't know that I've read a book that I felt that I could so effortlessly improve just by having a red pen in my hand. Yeah, just cross out things and like... I know that that can, will sound self-aggrandizing to certain no, listeners, it's not. but I just don't think it... It's not. She does things like as she makes boo-boos of the type. It's just like, you do not. It is bad form to say he laughed gleefully to have an adverb after a descriptor of dialogue that gets in the way of the dialogue. Everybody knows that. It's just hack. It's just bad. And she does it all the time. And I'm not being a snob. This is something that Ernest Klein knows better than to do. This is just ABC of how you put together a novel or a short story. It's just like little kids, high school students, bad students in junior high, they want to put adverbs on their dialogue instead of writing dialogue that indicates what the emotions... Well, they're taught to because they have some dumb writing curriculum that requires them to use so many adverbs. Oh, and I, so those many curriculums make me so to, mad. But I mean... To be descriptive. I don't know how I would design a curriculum to make it better, those, but... Those curriculums. Yeah. So here's my contention. Her greatest strength is, number one, her greatest strength is world building. Number two, her greatest strength is building a puzzle box of a plot. 
I would say her weakness perhaps is making the, her strength is making the plot feel inevitable as a piece of plot craftsmanship. Her greatest weakness perhaps, uh, we'll, we'll get to talking about her moral weaknesses, which are an important thing to talk about, but her greatest sort of craftsmanship weakness, I think, is in making the character beats feel inevitable. The characters to me always, at the end of the day, the characters are pretty well written, but at the end of the day, the characters always bow to the plot. And she, there's a number of times in the whole saga where she never quite pulls off. Did Snape inevitably have to go the direction he did? No, not really. He's not written in such a way that he couldn't have gone the other way. Why did Dumbledore hold withhold all that information was it because from harry at a certain point was it because dumbledore really really felt like he had to nah it was because th- we as readers couldn't have that information yet or it would ruin the surprise of the story i just think she never quite gets there with any number of key thing why did even why did Voldemort put his you know hide his horcruxes so easily was it because he was vain eh, no it was because he needed to hide his horcruxes and it works I mostly give it to her because the books are so entertaining and they succeed sometimes in spite of that and mostly the characters feel pretty they're they're very likable endearing lovable characters you know I mean Hermione is maybe the one character Harry Hermione and Ron if there's a char- if there are characters that feel inevitable and the decisions they're going to yes. make, it's the three kids. And I would almost be willing to argue that Hermione feels more inevitable than any of them. Which it's easy to because it's her. be Doctor Freud and say, oh, it's 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 J.K. Yeah. Rowling, yeah. Or I think who you're she right. wants you, who she wants to be, or who she, you know, whatever. Now here's a random question for you guys that comes maybe out of nowhere. A friend of mine, well, acquaintance from a long time ago, told me that he thought J.K. Rowling wrote little boys poorly but wrote little girls great and he his contention was that when harry and ron get into their big spats as they do in certain books they were fighting like girls and not like boys and that jk rowling actually didn't bother to figure out how boys would fight true or false false never occurred to me yeah another didn't strike me I would, also, I would also like to say false. It's possible that I'm just a girly boy who had those kinds of emotional it's possible problems. I am too, but I, I mean, I grew up in jock culture. Yeah. My circles all through Harry's age were, was jock culture. And I never once occurred to me to, to question the way that Ron and Harry. When they have their big falling out. What book is that where they have their big falling out? Um, and are, seven. No, yeah, not or seven. Yes. But back in four when like. Yeah, the ball and everything. Oh like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. To me, that felt pretty realistic. It wasn't necessarily always pleasant to read about. Like in five, when Harry's just all hormonal and everything, it's not my favorite thing to read. But it tracks for me in terms of how a kid like that would act. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's wrong. He's wrong. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'd try it well, to go back to the point you were making about yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would argue. I would push back a little bit, not sure. against that, but just um, I don't think you can be strong in plot if. If you're going to call someone strong in plot, it's because they're also able to make the characters, they're able to make everything seem inevitable mm-hmm. with character. Character has to be a part of plot. Uh, Otherwise, that is a weakness. And that's why I was calling the Voldemort thing a weakness with plot. Let me, let me try again then. Let me come back at you with a different theory. Because I'm going to no, go back to Dickens. Yeah, finish first. Though, when yeah, we read yeah. Dickens with Bleak House, because I think that that's actually a weakness with Dick, early Dickens. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is helpful for me because... Anybody who's a Dickens fan, I think, can see the same things with Dickens and Rowling. Yeah, where the seams are showing and like... Oliver Twist is yeah. bad. 
Yes. Nobody argues that Oliver Twist is bad. Bleak House is good. David Copperfield is good. Mm. And the reasons they're good is because what happens in the plot with David Copperfield happens because David Copperfield makes it happen. Traddles makes it happen. Macabre makes it happen. But there's one, I'll just give an example from David Copperfield of something bad, not to undermine your point, but David Copperfield has one really weak moment for me. And it's when his first wife, who's sort of obnoxious dies. and she dies. Yes. And that's just, it's not inevitable. It's Dickens killing the character fair enough, yeah. for the plot. And But she didn't do it. She was right. going to die. Well, not, yeah, yeah. But it's the God of the universe not playing yeah. fair. And that's different though than the character's not. She died because she got sick. Right. Right. That's different than saying that her character didn't, that that was out of character for her. Right. Well, her character also had a certain sort of wish fulfillment vibe. Yeah. We don't have to get into it. There's still big weaknesses. And unfortunately, Dickens' weakness early on with his writing still was a weakness. We're still going to see things in Bleak House that are a little bit wish fulfillment and bad plotting. Mm -hmm. But he got better at it. Yeah. Just like there are still weaknesses in book seven, the Horcruxes, probably the biggest example, that were glaring weaknesses in book one. Right. But my point would be, I'd... So in book one, it's all at sur- the characters are all at service of the plot, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I don't like about the ending of book one is it's like, why is this going to stop anybody? Like if it's a great wizard trying to get the Philosopher's Stone, why is little Flitwick making a key fly going to stop him? Mm-hmm. Right. right. This is just, yeah, this was, just dumb. dumb. This is just, this doesn't make any sense, right? And right. so book two, she comes up with the mystery and the snake and it's a little bit better. I like the end game of book two, like we were talking yeah, about Yeah, I think it was good. But by the time, but by the time you actually get where Voldemort's come and he's the villain and the really amazing ending of book four, mm-hmm. which is really good, it's it's, ama- the, it's, it's yeah. it redeems yeah. so much that's bad about book four. And, Agreed, and it's it's equally as good in the movies too, mm-hmm. right? It's yep. one of the best scenes. <laughs> Edward where Cedric dies. Yeah, he gets a uh, yeah poor Cedric. But it's uh, any of the conflicts actually between Voldemort and Harry, she uh, does pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Snape and Dumbledore, the two places. That Nathan's argument holds the most water. That's what I was just going to say. I was What I was going to come back at Brandon and say was it... Did I say Snape and Voldemort? Yes. You said no, you said Dumbledore, Snape and Dumbledore. Okay, that's what yeah. I meant. Which is, I think, it's like in every particular, she does great, but the two big sweeping things yep. that have to work, they basically work, but man, can you see the stream, the seams, and man, can you feel her straining to make them work, and they're both... Yes. Weird. And my Dumbledore point, my is, point is, go ahead. Is just a really flawed. He's a horrible human being. <laughs> Basically, he just has to be the worst teacher, the worst authority figure, the be- the worst daddy in the world to make all of those last books work. Yes, that's uh, true. All of it. I mean, all of it. Like, he's like, he's puppet mastering all of this in this really twisted way. It reminds me of when Sherlock Holmes would pretend to be dead for five years and not tell Watson, and Watson would mourn him and everything, and then he'd show up and say, well, Watson, you do know you're a bad actor, old chum. And it's like, no, Conan Doyle, you know that we needed a surprise. Yeah. Um, it's it's just moment after moment, out, like, where Dumbledore just does something crazy, insane, mean even. Like convincing the the man that you have saved from being a Death Eater and protected your entire life to kill you. Yeah. Right. And the movies actually do deal with this better than the books because the movie at least washes over Dumbledore's failure in book five. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have Harry blow up at him. Right. Right. Yes. So yeah. Gambone doesn't- Book five, that ending, 
I mean, I don't know when we want to, maybe we're going to spend a whole episode on the moral failures of JKR, but I think we probably will have to. That that ending of book five is just atrocious. Yeah. You know what? It's That's so bad. We've been going for an hour now. Maybe that should be our cliffhanger, but you want to make another. Let's, let's, well, next episode we'll come back. We'll talk about the moral weight of the content of Harry Potter. But well, I was just going to say then, but well, you can like see in Alan Rickman's face the pain when he kills yes. Dumbledore. You can hear the tension with Dumbledore saying, you have to do it. Well, the, and Snape. This is my big argument for the movies. Right. Uh, we'll talk about that and later. And it's the strongest, too. it is the argument to make because you, you've got these great actors and they are just getting us they, over they those bring, humps. Yeah, they bring through. dimension to these characters that she doesn't bring. Because right. they can actually draw. They're actually trying to make the characters make sense. Well, she and uh, they're better at it than the imagination of a child. Well, here's the yes, thing: is I, so. I don't know. Has somebody said this before? You can't write a greater character than you are. Yes. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. Right. I don't know. I don't know who, but yeah. J.R. Tolkien could write Gandalf because he kind of was Gandalf, mm-hmm. right? In his own weird J.R. Tolkien way. Yeah. But he could at least understand Gandalf. I J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm, I'm unconvinced that she has the moral capacity, or the emotional capacity, or the discernment to understand how to write a character like Snape or Dumbledore and make them work. Mm, agreed. Yes. Well, so I guess you want to let's let's let that be our cliffhanger for next time because I think we we're we're on the brink of talking about the moral content of these books, which okay. is the big discussion we have. Is there anything else we want to say about plot and just her general craftsmanship? Um, I love. Love, love, have insane respect for her as as a storyteller who is whose Achilles heel is her moral vision. Mm. And and the combination of world building and plot structuring is she's just killer good. It's astounding. I mean And I I, I love what reading the, the books. I I will probably read them again just to watch her at her craft mm-hmm. because I I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautifully done. I think it's expertly done, and it overcomes so many of her other glaring weaknesses. Yeah, that the fact that it overcomes them, the fact that those weaknesses are there, that they're as glaring as they are, and that they're so overwhelmed by by her good sense in terms of world building and plot. It's it's like what Lucas did with Star Wars. I want to say it's not just comparable, but it, it bests it. I mean, I think, I think there's. A I think I'm willing to go there with. You. I mean, we're 20 years. We're we're 10 years out now from the last book. 10 years or so. We're 20 years from the the saga, and it's still such a cultural touchstone, and people still love it. And when she releases her encyclopedia, which she hasn't released yet, correct? Mm-hmm. People will go nuts for that, and people will pay to see these dumb movies with Eddie Redmayne, and I'll pay, and I'll even enjoy them, even though they're those movies are even more glaringly weak than the weakest of what happens in at and least first those, Fantastic that, Beast yeah, movie. That, that movie. Yeah, but I liked it, and I wouldn't even mind watching it again. You liked it because it was just fun being back in her world. Yeah, it really was. It really yeah. was. And I felt the same way. Yeah, even even, even having read all seven books, mm-hmm. we turned around and watched all of those movies within the span of a, of like maybe five to six weeks total. Like, I just want to be there again. I want some I more. turned around and watched Fantastic Beasts and I, I was excited about watching it and I was let down that it didn't live up to. Right. But I'm I'm also ready for Crimes of Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
as played by Johnny Frickin' Depp. I mean, yeah, it look he looks so he looks he was, ridiculous. Yeah, he's he does look ridiculous. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. It was the worst part of that movie, and there were lots of bad parts about that movie. But the worst part was the reveal that Colin Farrell's not actually the bad guy; it's Johnny Depp, the Mad Hatter. Yep, gross. Yeah, yeah. When, Please, it's like when, when you really love someone's world, they can convince you to even read like the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so. You know, Tolkien could never get me past a chapter or two of that thing, but uh, I own it. Never uh, cracked it. I owned it in my life and not made it through it. You, you made it more through power it? to yeah. I've read it. More power to those people who love that world so much they read that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good grief. Yeah, well, her world building is is truly astounding. I mean, it is a delightful world, and it really is. They, to be fair yeah. to Tolkien, Tolkien's world was is his own world that he created, and he borrowed heavily from all kinds of places. Oh, I think Tolkien's world's great. I wasn't saying... No, 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 no. But yeah. what I'm about... I'm not s- saying anybody saying that. Okay. What I'm about to do is not... Uh, I'm about to knock Rowling's world building because mm-hmm. what she actually did was she just took she took a world that was already built. Yeah, but I barely think that that's a criticism because so did Vampire Academy, so did Hunger Games. I mean, there's all kinds of people that take things and put together. However, she did it. Even if she did nothing creative, she found. I mean, she is the alchemist. She found the formula, sure, and sure. it's incredible. I, like what she I said, did. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, you're the first person who said it, so I'm not really yeah, arguing. Well, but I, I'm just, I just saying, want to say, if you're going to be critical of it, the fact is, the spells, mm-hmm. the the people, the store, the the lore. But I'm just, it's I don't, all ripped. Straight I don't out even. Of the I do. I do of, not. Ex- I I just. I understand what you're saying. I don't agree with. I mean, I just. I want to say the point of view you're representing. I think is silly. Because I think that she just, the difference between almost right and right, as uh, Mark Twain said about writing, you know, the difference between the almost right word and the right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And she just captured lightning. I don't know how she did it. Yeah. it it's yeah. all derivative. And and as I read it, I think this is derivative. Oh, please. A dark lord. Come right. on. A dark lord. Everything um, about it is, I mean, even down to the stupid names. Draco Malfoy. Right. Severus Voldemort. Snape. I mean, he's got- Lord one. Voldemort. Yeah. But there's a sense of, well, there needs to be a sense of inevitability mm-hmm. to their world. Like it felt like this world has already existed and you're just entering into it, but it's a fully realized it's there and everything that happens in it just has a sense of inevitability. Mm-hmm. Her world has that. As soon as you go through into the train station- As soon if, as you go into uh Di- well, diagonally. Yeah, to be honest, as soon as you meet Hagrid. Mm-hmm. Right. As soon right. as Hagrid shows up. It's you, like, who else would show up? You yeah. know? Or the owls. You just didn't know. Sake. Yeah, the owls are there. Hagrid's there. You know exactly what sort of world you're going into. It couldn't be anything other than a remote British island with his castle and all this world that surrounds it. It's it's all there and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that is her. She's the one who put those elements together. And so it's like, it's a lot, it's like what you guys taught me in my Scrooge episode to appreciate about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was Christmas, right? Yeah, I yeah. think it was. Yeah, so we can retcon that as uh, Brandon's yeah, Brandon Scrooge. Scrooge. Happy Christmas, Star Wars <laughs> yeah. is over. I think we called that episode. But I agree with you. I think she does it with even better than Lucas did. Galaxy right. a long time ago. Yeah, far, far away. And by the way, I'm Jake's absolutely right to make the point that it is super derivative what she's doing. It is. Yeah. That, well, that's also what's clever, and this is one of the things that what's clever is that she found something really compelling 
to to derive her world from. Right. Yeah. And she didn't have to do a whole bunch of of work. She didn't have to sit down and write Silmarillion. Well, I mean, know, and, stories and back in order mm-hmm. and develop her own languages to figure the whole verbiage, all of it was there, just waiting to be mined and tapped. And, and to, she tapped it and she pulled it together really well. To mm-hmm. be fair to her too, she has created a lot of lore for this world. Oh sure. Yeah. And she Tolkien stole a lot of stuff. Yes. Create Middle Earth. Oh, yeah. It comes yeah. from the Fairy Queen and Lamort D'Arthur and all these right. things that he was drawing from Beowulf. There's really nothing original in Middle Earth either, right. except for the languages he created. Well, it's similar. And this is one of the things that, and I know we're going to have to talk about this more too. The question of whether or not which pieces were laid down with intentionality from the beginning yeah. and which were artfully retconned into having greater meaning. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's astounding. I mean, it, what she did—it's great the way that she made it work. We're going to spend a lot of our time. That she found and... to pull together, like you know, yeah. I, I don't really care so much how much if she wants to say I had this all mapped out from the beginning, and there, I think looking at at it, there are certain things that you can make really good arguments that she did, and there are certain things that, like, if she did, boy, did she kind of blow it, right? And there are other things that are like, I don't know, this was a cool save or this was a cool. Which, by the way, her answer to that question, which she has been asked a million times, and she's a little cagey about it, but basically she says, I knew the broad strokes and I filled in the details and found a lot of it as I went. Which is, which is kind of a way of saying nothing, really. But My, my favorite discovery, yeah. and I, I can't, I've been waiting to share this because this is my favorite discovery that I've made about that. Mm. And you can take it for what it's worth. But the very first thing that Severus Snape says to, to Harry, apart from Mr. Potter, our mm. new celebrity, mm. is, is uh, what do you Jake get? Jake finally did his Alan Rickman, folks. Uh, We've been waiting all episode. <laughs> got there it. it is. We got it. I wasn't trying to. He fell into our web. <laughs> is Alan Chats. Rickman in the room? <laughs> <laughs> He's back from the dead. Oh, no. So the very first thing that he says is... What do you get when you take Root of Asphodel? And I wouldn't I wouldn't have remembered Asphodel except you played the clip before we started recording and I I've been hanging on to it in my head. Root of Asphodel and mix it with wormwood. Mm. Turns out that Asphodel is a type of lily. So what happens when you take the root of of lily and mix it with bitterness and gall? That's pretty the cool. The first thing that he says to Harry. That's pretty cool. You know, um, this is, this is, I'm just going to admit it. It's kind of shameful. I just got a little bit of a chill. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Well, and I want to make one more point about everything we've been talking about, you know, about the derivativeness versus the, it's quite a feat to, like, when I was a kid, I first saw Star Wars. I got my first thing with a Dark Lord. And then I read books with Dark Lords. And then I read some more thing. And then somebody else told a story about a Dark Lord. I saw a movie with the Dark Lord here to be able to, just repackage it so I get a new Dark Lord and he feels as potent as the Darth first Vader. Dark Lord that I ever experienced. That's pretty cool. Yes. So even if even if all she did was derivatively repackage, to be able to repackage all the old myths in a way that they feel fresh, you know, I mean, it's what George Lucas did. It's yeah. what all fairy tales did. It's what all did. fairy tales did. But nothing new, new is under the sun. If you can just find a way to take the same old thing, you know, yeah. will the boy get the girl? If you can find if a way to If you want to be really lazy feel... about it, you can just write a screenplay to a movie and call it Shrek. Mm-hmm. You could. Yeah. Gross. Not but try. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of uh, I got fantasy. an idea. This is really hard. Mm. How about we just... I can't find a nice way to say what I want to say. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How a about we of... just take all of these old tropes and... 
light them on fire. Yeah. Does anybody like Wouldn't Shrek? that be hilarious? No, Shrek is awful. We should do an episode just about Best, how, uh, how evil Shrek is. Yeah. There is a certain sense in which you could say that some of the things that are evil about Shrek are, are things that are evil about Potter, but not in the storytelling, not mm-hmm. in the good versus evil and the willingness to take on those elements of the dark, the the darkness versus the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can always, and you, well, to go to the Dark Lord point, mm-hmm. you can gauge the quality of a fantasy usually by the darkness of its villain mm-hmm. and the believability of its threat. And Lord Voldemort is a fantastic villain. Dude, the end of book four. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I would rank him up there with the top five fantasy villains. Sci-fi included. You know, let's let's save that for next episode because uh, I think we, I'm not sure whether I'll go there. I I, I don't know. I, I like it. Um, I like him. I mean, he's scary. He's he's. Yeah. If you're just saying, I think I of, might like him for the reasons you're not going to like him so much. Well, the there's a question to be made as to whether who what's the more effective kind. Of, basically, the question is: Is a villain more effective if he's born bad or if he's made bad? And Tom Riddle has a little bit of both but not in a really interesting way i would say i mean basically he's just a born psychopath and i don't know whether that was the right choice or not i think maybe it would have been more interesting for him to have a little bit more three-dimensionality but then this is basically a fairy tale so i don't know and a children's fairy tale and, and a children's story so maybe he's just the devil and that's mm-hmm. fine he's a very effective devil yeah i mean i would because i would put sauron up in the top twisted man his yeah. past is twisted but it's kind of like a jeffrey dahmer sort of well, I think you know, that, when he was four, he was picking things off of flies, and then he, yeah. he slowly the darkness well, that was already there was revealed by his horrible. Uh, uh, and and maybe that's my, the right choice. I'm just not sure. Yeah, my answer, part of my answer to that would be, in fantasy, you have the opportunity to really draw the lines between good and evil fairly mm-hmm. starkly. And so I would actually put Sauron up in the top five myself. You might not, per your standards. But the reason being is Sauron. Well, already, he already came out and said that Saruman's a better villain than Sauron. You did. Right. It's true. Well, but we, I think, but I personally think Sauron's better than Saruman. Yeah. Well, um, I think because I think that Sauron as a threat that can be defeated is interesting because it doesn't seem like he can be. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point of those stories. You got your you catastrophe. Yeah. And I like, I don't like the word you catastrophe, <laughs> but I like the fact that Sauron seems undefeatable. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that Lord Voldemort seems that he's going to come back. He seems to be this darkness that can't be defeated. There's some interesting postmodern qualities to him as as a villain that we can talk about. Yeah, well, but. I think I like both, actually. I like the sort of villain that just represents pure evil, like the Joker. He, The Dark Knight does a good job of toying with the idea that who cares what his past is? He's yeah. just a force of anarchy and of destruction. And that's, you know, some men just want to watch the world burn. I like that kind of villain. I also like a villain who's been twisted by his past, you know, Killmonger and Black Panther would be a recent example of someone who's basically three-dimensional, has a really relatable point of view. Uh, the difference between Palpatine and Darth Vader, Palpatine's just evil incarnate, Darth Vader is a Everybody thinks Darth Vader is more interesting. Right. Uh, I don't actually mind Palpatine. I don't mind Sauron. I don't mind that type of villain. I think maybe she kind of muddles it a little bit, just splits the difference. Like Voldemort's not quite just a satanic figure, and he's not quite... He's a half-breed orphan. Right. Who was hated and cast out by his father. Yeah. And his mother was left to die alone on the streets. Well. And he grew up in an orphanage. But every time we see him as a kid, he's always 
We only see him once. We don't see him as a child at all. We see him as a youth. We see him as a youth when Dumbledore goes. And Dumbledore gets a a little bit of backstory from the caretaker of the orphanage. Right. Then Dumbledore goes and meets him. And then that's that's what we see. Yeah. I guess to me, I'm not, I mean, he's effective. I'm just saying to me, there's parts of the story where it seems like she's saying that Voldemort actually on the inside has a lot of fear and is driven by like a sort of relatable. But, but then other times he does just seem well, like that. So it, it feels like just in a small, this is a very minor complaint. It just feels like she sort of splits the difference. And that's you know. actually, villains are driven by fear. That's also Sauron. We know that he's driven by his anxiety and fear over the fact that he, this ring is missing and he might. And so that's, that's just an old, that's just trope as old as time about. I'm fair. Uh, I'll, um, I'll grant you the it. Villain. Their weakness is always their narcissism leads them to perpetual fear. I guess I guess here's another way so. of saying what I'm saying. I'll take a two-dimensional villain. I'll take a three-dimensional villain. To me, Voldemort feels like a two-and-a-half-dimensional villain, and that's he's pretty well done for all of that, but I think maybe she should have just chosen two-dimensional, three-dimensional. I don't know. Maybe not. I probably wouldn't have even mentioned that if it didn't yeah. come no, up I think organically this is a good in argument. conversation. I'm just... Yeah. I mean, what's interesting as I think about it is that if he's two and a half dimensional, you could say that about the way that she draws almost all the characters. Yeah, maybe it's a larger complaint that Harry himself, even in some ways, although Harry not so much, but Harry, all the big kind of iconic heroes, your your Dumbledores, your Voldemorts, your... uh, No, I think at the end of book four, Voldemort is terrifying. Book five... In six, he's out there. Book seven, he's coming to power. Right. And he's scary. He's afraid. He's all those things. He has all of those. He's got a past. Mm-hmm. Past is evil. He killed his own parent. His dad, actually. Right. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she, exactly it, it, it I sort of feels it, like but. she doesn't quite. Like she could go nurture, she could go nature, or she could go interesting ambiguity, but it feels like she kind of whiffs it and goes and accidentally stumbles into ambiguity instead of striding confidently into ambiguity. Um, It just doesn't feel like she's being quite intentional with it. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like her moral sense is quite sophisticated enough or developed enough to really make a an informed choice as yeah. to who Voldemort is. Well, I think is. that as far as the two and a half dimension, dimensionality, mm-hmm. that is going to get us into the moral question because Harry being two and a half dimensions is one of the biggest moral problems right. of this book. Yeah. But with Voldemort, I don't, th- I think also it's- Dumbledore. So yeah. what? So is Dumbledore, yeah. yeah. All the characters that matter, Snape. Mm. So Voldemort, I think that she just wanted a villain. Mm-hmm. Like Bellatrix Lestrange, you're not supposed to question whether or not. Yeah, she's a great example oh, she's of. A, she's a wonderful she's two-dimensional villain. Yeah. she's yeah. just 100%. like she's, all that, she comes on stage. She twirls her mustache. All that to say, I mean, he was supposed to have been torturing children even mm-hmm. when he was a child, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that Leading there's much the two and a half dimensionality to him. I just think that he. But then Jake just made the argument like his mom died. Like there's this, there's a certain amount of room. But I think for that all that is. I think the reason it was that's a bad environment. It was nurture. Just explain why he's a psychic. Right. I think it's there to explain why he's a psychopath, and it's also there to make us wonder how far Harry's going to get. Oh, yes. Is he going to get close to being Voldemort? I mean, so much of really that, the whole point of that, and even that scene, mm-hmm. like you have that scene where where Dumbledore says to uh, Tom almost the same thing, it, or maybe the exact same words that Hagrid said to Harry. Mm-hmm. You're a wizard, Harry. You're a wizard. And- 
And they're meant to be put in parallel construction so that you go back and you say, Harry is like, no way. Mm, yeah. You're confused. I'm a piece of trash, actually. That's what he's been raised his whole life to believe. His whole thing is no way. This is no. And Tom Riddle's response is, I always knew I was special. Mm-hmm. Right. I always knew I was different. And so it's... It, the whole point of that scene in terms of this, not, not the whole point of that scene, but a large part of the point is how close is Harry to But see, that's war. that's how, where I think, I, I almost think playing that's- playing with destiny versus yeah. choice. But I almost think that's an argument for, for where I'm seeing it as being weak because that makes me think, oh, well, gosh, why didn't she just make Dumbledore three-dimensional then instead of two and a half or two? Because- You mean Voldemort. Le- or, I'm sorry, Voldemort. Let's not have him be a satanic figure. Let's have him be Harry Potter- gone bad let let's have him be the boy that made the wrong choice if we really want to play with that will harry turn let's make voldemort someone who could have been harry yeah now it's fun to have voldemort just be a mustache twirling villain too i can see going either way i just think she kind of like i said like i've said four or five times now i think she sort of splits the difference and doesn't quite land a home run in either camp yeah and i don't know if that would have actually helped at all with the moral ambiguity though yeah because the thing is, is I don't, when I have a fantasy like this, like a good example would be King Arthur. I don't mm. need Mordred to have ever thought that Mordred could be good. Right. I don't need that. I do need Lancelot wondering whether Lancelot could be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The more interesting character in The Lord of the Rings, more even more interesting than Saruman, is always going to be Gollum. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because Gollum is the fallen ordinary person. Mm-hmm. I don't need the, I don't need the great man struggling with whether or not he's going to become wicked. But what if Mordred, instead of just being the guy that wants to kill Arthur and is bad for no reason, what if we just provided a little bit of background as to Mordred? No, I'm saying, I'm saying, and you're shaking your head and you're saying that would be gross. He's saying that's what J.K. I'm saying that's what J.K. Rowling does. She provides just enough to make you wonder about her Mordred without actually going the distance and making him three-dimensional. Well, what that is, is that's just a little bit of her postmodern effeteness getting in. I think so, yeah. Okay, I'll take, I'll buy that point. I think it makes the story more interesting for Harry. So I could also, I, 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 there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Well, go ahead. And I think it has. Okay. So what had, what if that had been done with Mordred? Well, why it wasn't done with Mordred? And there is a little bit of it with Mordred's mm-hmm. story, but, um, not in a way that Mallory, for example, actually makes you feel any sort of sympathy or question no. about that. And I'm wondering, are you ever supposed to feel sympathy for Voldemort? I don't quite think so, but that's where her bad, that's where she's not yeah. quite talented. It's not like to, I th- to really tell There may me. be a couple scenes where Dumbledore actually tries to get Harry to feel a little bit of, he's actually quite pitiable because he doesn't understand love and he doesn't, yeah. and he's just driven by fear and he doesn't believe there's more to life than yeah. staying alive. Which that is the more, that's getting more to these moral failures of the book and the way that it looks at evil in general. Mm-hmm. Right. And so <clears throat> I would say that I think it's interesting having those scenes with Voldemort because it makes you wonder about Harry mm-hmm. and that's why it's there. If they're meant to make you wonder about Voldemort, then I think they're weak and bad. And I think, I bet if we called up J.K. Rowling right now and she'd be, oh, great, my favorite podcast, what's your question? And we said, were we supposed to feel a little bit of sympathy and wonder about Voldemort in those scenes? I think she'd tell us yes. I think she, it feels to me like she was going for that and she didn't quite make it. And again, I just want to emphasize it's not a huge criticism of mine. I think it's a noble attempt. I like Voldemort. I think he's a scary villain. And I think she's mostly fairly successful. I just have that strange 
criticism that I that I've yeah. made several times now. Well, I take Macbeth for example. There's mm-hmm. a certain inevitability to his just perverse fall. Right. Um, he's almost he's as close I think Shakespeare ever came to just having a villain, right? Someone who is just bad. And um, Hamlet's not that way. Well, you'll remember by the way that I banged my head against that a little bit when we did Macbeth. Yeah, the fact that Ham that he's just bad. Yeah, the well the degree to which he's a complex, interesting, relatable character who then suddenly becomes a thug in the later yeah. acts of the play, and it doesn't for me quite track, frankly yeah. speaking. Yeah, and um. Uh, in fantasy, you don't want your main villain to be that complex, fallen character. You want the villain to—it's very postmodern to want your villains to be that way. Right. And so my argument is, then why did she? Because it feels well, like she's she, postmodern. Yeah. It, and, and that's where I think she fails a little bit. Okay. Just a little bit, you yeah. know? It's a—not it's a, every criticism has to be a be-all, end-all. She basically yeah, and I think, but a, I would still stand by, those scenes aside, I still think Voldemort's a very convincing, good villain. As far I as think he's goes. probably better when he's just being a satanic, two-dimensional, Sauron-like villain yeah. than in the scenes where it feels like she's grasping for a more relatable yeah. kind of— Sauron, I guess, or Killmonger, or whoever, Darth Vader, kind of a villain. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting question, I guess. I think a lot of the answers to this also get into more of the moral questions. Right. Which, which we, we will come back and discuss. Yeah. Uh, because how conflicted Harry feels, how worried Dumbledore is about this connection between him and Voldemort and his willingness to just use it versus mm-hmm. trying to help this young boy who's being perverted by this evil in his brain. Right. There are some real problems here. It's interesting. So, I, I will say, in to close out the unless anyone has any other things to say about it, to close out the discussion of Voldemort, there's one moment with Voldemort that I really love, and I think Jake that it's fantastic the way she does it in the books and it's really stupid the way they do it in the movies. What moment's that? It is the death of Voldemort. Because in the books, if I recall correctly, he dies and then he's this decrepit, shrunken little corpse that's just laying there. In the movies, he gets zapped or whatever and then he's like, oh, and he kind of like the snapshot disintegrates yeah it's the snapshot he disintegrates yeah. like like the characters and that was I, I remember sitting in the theater watching that and being disappointed that they made the wrong choice yeah. that after this guy's been built up as so evil to see him just shrunken like that was a really good moment from the books that they just didn't have got the, rid of they, they didn't have the sense to grasp the poetry of it and yeah. they just they just ditched it in favor of a special effects shot and it was mm-hmm. a really ham-fisted lazy there are, choice there are a lot of that final battle has a couple of moments they also ruin i don't really care for the moment in the Mrs. book weasley yeah i don't like that moment in the book i think it's super cheap the way that she's like bellatrix or strange was always really bad and now she gets her you know it's just it feels like an arnold schwarzenegger movie especially with the line that i can't say on our christian podcast yep. but if you're gonna do that you there's really a do there's an effective way to do it and you got to say the line and then you got to kill the crap out of the person and the movie just like completely, it's almost like they didn't even want that moment to land. Like that should be a moment where the audience applauds and instead they just kind of throw it away or something. So yeah, it was really, it was a fail. By the way, speaking of Mrs. Weasley, and um, I know this wasn't your point, Brandon, earlier, but I felt they did that she did such an effective job of setting Harry up that I got emotional when Mrs. Weasley was just being kind to him the first time they met. Yeah, that's really the train nice. Station. I don't think she did a bad job sitting here. When, when, yeah, I know, I know that wasn't your point, but, but, yeah, you got that scene where the twins are like, "That's Harry Potter out there," you know. Mm-hmm. They discover that it's Harry, and they go out and 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 she's just immediately, yeah. "Don't you ask him about?" I think that don't you dare 
ask him about, do you think he remembers that don't you dare? Right, right, yeah. That's really nice. Him. Yeah, it was just super sweet. She mm-hmm. also gets a really emotional scene in Order of the Phoenix that I just read where she's, when she finds the boggart mm-hmm. and it's all her kids that are just dead. Yeah. And she panics <laughs> and freaks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ru- Lupin has and to Lupin come Lupin has to come and That was, because yeah. you realize there, that's a good, and I don't think that's in the movie either. And Harry's one of them. Yeah, but that's a good way of showing yeah, that's, you. That's super sweet too, that yeah. Harry, that Harry would be one of them. He'd be one of them and also that that's the way that it shows you everybody's anxiety over what's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. makes you sympathetic to why she's keeping all of them out of the meetings too. Yeah. yeah. So that's one point to where the movie lost something the book did better. Yes. Um, but my point with that first chapter was, and I think it has to do with laziness and quickness. I don't think she really took time to fine tune that chapter and figure out what it should be. Where again, and that's where I just want to say her her editor was Lord Voldemort. Yeah. He's the word, like, I don't even blame her. I blame the lazy editor that just yeah. said that was good. And a lot of her writing is the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, I mean, maybe this will make a lot of people mad. I don't even know if we're going to argue about it much. She's not a good, she's not a great writer. No. no. She's got, it's it's frustrating to see the places where she really shows yeah. some some skill or some chops just even as a prose stylist. Like the death of Dobby, yeah. for instance. She does a good job. When she gets in her oh, element, yeah. she can do it very sharply. No, but there's- Very sharply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. bad writing right yeah, there. Yeah, very sharply. She has some real poetic moments. And I, I love the whole, um, whatever the line about Dobby's eyes and the stars being reflected in them mm-hmm. uh, was, I thought, pretty artful. No, she could do it. And, and there are places like that, or little turns of phrase, or little things where she just gets the right detail mm. that tells everything about a scene, or it is these little mo- flashes of poetry right? Which in is, the which, midst of all this terrible, Which is why it's frustrating, prose. because... Yeah, if it was just Ernest Klein and she and was just dryly feel... bad, then it would be like way less frustrating, because you'd just be like, she's bad. But it feels like she could actually it do it like if she wants to. It feels like she wasn't working hard enough. Yeah. And so... It just feels lazy. It feels like, like she has it in her to be better, and she just didn't. And her editor, you know what? Her editor is not Voldemort. He's Dumbledore. He's a bad mentor who isn't pushing her in the ways and is hiding knowledge from her that she should have and is not just disciplining her to be the good writer that I think she could be. Yeah, she could have. These could have been much better. But you know, I mean, it's hard to blame her. If her editor looks at her and says, no, this will sell. It's fine. Yeah. And then it does. That's why I'm, yeah. Yeah. Her editor may have been (laughs) right. And we're, it's not worth the time of investment to make this better than it is. But imagine it's sell. it was a business decision, and oh, you got to crank these out and hit your deadlines because this is a yeah. business decision. And it's about money, and it's going to make bank, and it's you just got to keep them coming, and we got to make these movies. Yeah, and that's the way that it was processed. Well, okay, well, you know that's commercial pop art, but but what she had, uh, I don't, I just, she, I don't, she had a I massive commercial that. pop art success that mm. is, in fact. On the verge of being just that an artistic much more success of an artistic classic, and all it would have taken was just a, a little more elbow grease. I don't care if it lasts it, for a thousand years; it could have lasted for two thousand years with that yeah. elbow grease. You know what I mean? Like it just could have been something really, really, really special instead of something special, pretty special. Yeah. yeah. And I think that really, really, really special is worth fighting for in art. I mean, if you're gonna write it all, I, look. We make so much room and space on the booking for humble people to enjoy humble things and for writers to just tell stories. Let me just be an artist's artist for one moment and just say, if you're going to do it at all, 
why not do it well? Why not do it? Why mm-hmm. not do it to your best abilities? Why not really, really try to do something great every time you go out? I know you run out of time and nothing's ever as good and it'll sell anyway and it'll still be good. But like somebody yeah. like Steinbeck, for example, who's just terrible, you never feel like he's not at least swinging for, swinging the, fences. for the fences. I knew that's what you were going to do and where you're going to go. And I was going to go there if you weren't. That's what we do appreciate about Steinbeck or even Ray Bradbury is right. they're going to swing for the fences and they may fail and it may be terrible but this feels like timid in a way yeah well this feels like you've got somebody who's capable of of hitting you know 60 home runs in a season deciding to hit for average right because at least that way they won't strike out right and that's that's a little that's just frustrating and but you still respect a hitter that can hit for average but you look at you look at her and you think you had you had another twenty home runs in you this season. I mean, I'm making an extended baseball metaphor <laughs> right. right now. You had you had twenty more home runs in you. You just didn't have the guts to go for it. Mm-hmm. You made the decision to slap the ball out to right field instead of try to rip it down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just too bad. Yeah, it's and I think it matters bad. because it helps taste uh, shape taste, and um, which is why gun to my head, I would choose something wicked this way comes to preserve over Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and I definitely would choose Charlotte's Web. Oh, I think it's tough because I do love the world of Harry Potter, but the the merits of are so different. Yeah, I mean, it, that's my head. hard. That's hard because White is absolutely like he is m- my aesthetic, my sense of artistry and style. I like White is he's my he's when it comes to kids, he's just my guy. Like, yeah, he's perfect. Yeah. But when it comes to and that, but it's everything that she doesn't bring. When it comes to Mm -hmm. to story, world building, and plot, I think I want to say that she's my girl. I would not. When it comes to kids' books, eh, okay. When it comes to kids' book, okay. Um, Give me that caveat. Yeah, yeah. I'll give give you that caveat. But I'm thinking if I had one book that I could preserve for my kids to read. I just think it would be that's sure. such an un- okay gun to my head. That's I don't pretty know. unfair. That's it's a- unfair. <laughs> it, it, how about this one? I think this is much more fair. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. I actually right now because we've been oh. talking about Harry Potter and reading it, I feel a lot more affection for Harry Potter. Yeah. But Lord of the Rings is completely the superior work that has no to go question. in that time t- capsule. Yeah. No question. I mean, just in terms of uh, are you going to talk about the power of literature to be ennobling? Mm-hmm. My goodness. Lord of the Rings is ennobling stuff. You come I mean, away with one, uh, your character's improved. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way that your character's not going to be improved by Potter. The when Aragorn I mean, and all those lords bow are, to the hobbits. There are a few mm. things. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when the elf maiden I, surfs on the spiders, <laughs> when the dwarves fight the orcs as they go down those those barrels. and the, let, let, let me, for the, for the listeners, say that, because I just said that you're not going to be improved by Potter, mm. but except in a few ways. Right. There are ennobling things about Harry Potter. I don't want to pretend like they're not, but they're on such a different moral... Rolling and well, and Tolkien it's a, are on such a different moral plane. It's so it's laughable yeah, it's to try to day. compare them. And so far, and in so far as Harry Potter is ennobling, it's the kind of ennobling that you can get other places. Lord of, the, Lord of the Rings ennobling is in short supply these days. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, for for goodness' sake, what she does, what she gives you is a is Sam and Frodo light, right? That's, I mean, that's... The, but she can't the, begin the, to conceive of someone like Aragorn or Gandalf. No, no, she does not. No. And she tries for a Gandalf with Dumbledore and... It uh, we'll have, we got miserably. We got to be done, guys. It's uh, This is going to be our longest episode ever, probably. But her attempt to do a Gandalf is... Massive. Maybe her great failure. Yeah, 
yeah, we'll have to talk about that more. Yeah, so all coming. So yeah, next next week, folks, we're going to get into the morality of Harry Potter. And we're hey, going- how fun is this? We tried to wrap. We've been trying to wrap this episode up for probably a half hour, forty five yep. minutes, and we can't stop talking. You guys are in for fun. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah, Harry Potter's fun. Um, by the way, Lumos. Harry Potter is so much fun. We've been we've been discussing the fact that we probably should have done the individual books, and maybe down the line, not this summer, folks. Maybe down the line, we'll do the individual books at some point if you want us to. But uh, let us know what you think. Five thousand, yeah. Let us know. Yeah, for five thousand dollars, <laughs> and that's a one-time gift from eat from every one of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. Would you want. Uh, solve our financial problems, man. Yeah, I mean, we'll do Fifty Shades of Gray. We're not a. We're no, not, we we're not a. No. You can't buy us. We're not. No, we wouldn't actually do pornography. We, we do. We do Twilight. Though. We're not prostitutes. Let's do some donor shout outs. Let's do it. Yeah. We can't be bought. So let's do some donor shout outs. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, let's go once again. You know what? Let's go in a different order. And, um, you know, we've gone long. We may as well go longer. So let's do some gimmicks for donor shout outs. Uh, what can we do? Say, uh, I want you to say this person and then say what character from Lord of the Rings you think they are most like. Lord of the Rings? Yeah. And then I want you to give them a word of advice. What? Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it I'll is. I'll do the Cow. character. Um, uh, you give them a word of advice. You, you, you do the character. Jake, you give them a word of advice. Okay. Okay. All right. So oh. let's start with the immortal Chelsea E. Chelsea E. Why? You could only be Arwen. Even star. Arwen, even star. And the advice for her? Uh, Get on those boats. Do it. Oh, Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan, would be... Mariotic took. Hmm, interesting. The smarter of the two dumb characters. Yeah. <laughs> and the advice? Don't like knock Mary. things down wells. Yeah. Don't. Nah, that was Pippin that knocked the thing down the well, didn't he? But Full of a took. Don't be friends with people. Not, was it Pippin? I thought it was... Mariotic took. I guess you're right. Peregrine took as well. Oh, yeah, they're both tooks. Mariotic brandy buck. Yeah. He's a brandy buck. I got that wrong. Peregrine took, yep. Peregrine took. Okay, right. Well, he's Peregrine took done because that's good advice. Yeah, don't don't knock things down wells. Yeah, don't <laughs> knock things next is people. Don't, uh, don't knock corpses down wells when you're in a yeah. deep, dark cave. Don't right. do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Why? They are uh, They're a couple, so. Kind Galadriel and Celeborn. There you go. And the advice for Galadriel and Celeborn, Kepr- a.k.a. Beware the Kepr-Lorn. rings. What? Beware the power and seduction of the rings. The wearer of the ring, the bearer of the ring, Whoa. stands on the very ring. What Anne is afraid of, of just happened. <laughs> Jake just almost fell out of his chair. But didn't. But didn't. Lily of the Valley, of course. Lily of the Valley, of course, you would be. Oh, man. Then we're going to run into the there are no women. And Wait, did you give advice case. to? Yes, Beware the, be the Rings. Oh, yeah, Beware the Rings. You are, of course, uh, Eowyn, Eowyn, warrior princess, feminist. slayer of the Ringwraith King. Mm, yes, yes, yes. No man shall slay me. I am no man. What? <laughs> I am no man. What are you? <laughs> I am Alan Rickman. How? How? Oh. And I have a machine gun. I'm a woman. <laughs> uh, Andrew and Esther, the love. Oh, gotta give advice. Oh, your advice for Eowyn. Learn the meaning of these two words. Feminine deference. There you go. <laughs> okay. There you go, Lily. You're and welcome. the ring wraith will rule us all. <laughs> Sometimes a woman's got to do what a woman's got to do, fellas. Yeah, come on, Deborah. You know, I'm a pretty famous internet misogynist, but maybe we can make an exception JL? for Eowyn. I don't know. JL? 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 
Yeah, I don't know about that, JL. When I had my big internet misogyny case, everyone was like, someone should put a tent peg through your head. I'm like, gee, no, that's but not you're not right, like man. a nasty king overlord. Whatever, cool. Go they ahead. thought I was. Yeah, whatever, they're um, stupid. All of Nathan's critics are stupid. Yeah, <laughs> take that, critics. Jenny Z, the inscrutable. Jenny Z, the inscrutable. Wait, did you give it? I'm sorry, I keep he did. lost. Okay. I just did. Yeah, we were just inscrutable talking Jenny. about it. Jenny Z, the, the inscrutable. That, you you are. No, no, no. But did you give one to Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds? Did I say We didn't Andrew do them yet. Okay. Didn't... I'm sorry. Never mind. Getting, Jenny Z, you, the inscrutable. This is madness. <laughs> okay, yes. Jenny Z, uh, you are, uh, you can't be a boy. No, she's not a boy. She could be Rosie. Yeah, that's who I was trying to remember. Rosie. You're Rosie, the barmaid. Yeah. And Sam Wise's wife. Yeah, that's a great Sam husband. Yeah. To have Sam. Yeah. And the advice for not so much the guy who played Sam. Yeah, Rudy. Yeah, I don't know. Who's this? What's who's this? This is Jenny Z, the inscrutable Jenny Z. Find your Sam, and if you've already found him, bully for you. Stand by your Sam. Stand, Stand by, by your, your Sam. Sam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, and the uh, the aforementioned, for some mad reason, Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and little baby Timothy. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and little baby Timothy. You are, oh, Bayorn and, no, what's that? Uh, the lay of Luthien and- Baron. Baron and Luthien. Baron and Luthien. And little baby Timothy. And little baby Timothy, whoever little, their kid is. The Baron and Luthien. I'm not sure they had a kid. And I think they ended in tragedy maybe before yeah, they had a chance he to He can reproduce. be an eagle. You're one of the eagles, Timothy. Yeah. <laughs> Timothy's one of the eagles. Great. And the advice for them? Avoid the Dark Lord. Avoid him. That is such a good advice for really <laughs> everyone listening. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. You guys are... They're that little farming couple in the movie. The little farming hobbits. Oh, the guy The guy that's yeah. like all like... But then he kind of laughs at the fireworks. Then his wife comes out and looks at him and he goes, oh, actually, it's mad at the fire. <laughs> they like to grow things and they're hobbits. They're hobbits. Yeah. My parents are hobbits. And every, every time your dad tries to yeah. show any kind of backbone, your mom scowls at him. No. And then he, he sort of... But they would away. be they would be a hobbit couple that is very happy together. Yeah, exactly there, right. And you are. That was obviously ironic. Because we are now running out of women characters. Mm, we got plenty of women to go in terms of donors. Enjoy the fireworks. Enjoy the fireworks. Enjoy the fireworks. Good advice for many. Uh, John and Jill and little baby Max. Oh, boy. Uh, John and Jill and little baby Max. You are, uh, you, you can be Aragorn and Arwen after she gets married because she's not the same character as Arwen before she gets No, a woman's not really a person until no. she gets married. <laughs> and your little baby is that babe, the kid she had in her dream. With, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm drawing from the movies right yeah, now. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. The, the movies are the go. only thing that matters. That's who you are. Um, Live long and prosper. Nice. Can I start doing Star Trek characters nope. now? No. <laughs> uh, David's Mighty Men Trucking. <laughs> David's Mighty Men Trucking. Why, you would, of course, be Jake Knows. Well, are you yeah. trying to mime what they should no, do? No, it's just obvious that they should be the Eagles. You're the Eagles, yeah. yeah. You're the Eagles. David's Mighty Men Trucking is coming. I was going to say the Oliphants. <laughs> the Oliphants. That works, too. Save the day. Do it. Do it. Uh, my beloved mother, Beth. Nathan's beloved mother, Beth. You would be Turiel the elf princess by any chance? No. That's the one of the other great couples. Oh, I know. There, there are other females in this book. Um, what's old Tom Bombadil's woman? Mrs. Bombadil? Yeah. There's a, there is a Or Mrs. maybe Bomb- she would be the Ant Wives. Oh, yeah. Your mom would be the Ant Wives. Yeah. My mom's not been heard of for thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good characters. That heart breaks my heart every time yeah. I tell the story. My of the dad's Wives. always like, uh, where did my mom go? <laughs> Come advice. home. Do it. Yeah. Come, come home, home, mom. Please. Please come home. Um, DJ Sammy G. DJ Sammy G. 
laying down those sweet tunes while you're Samwise Gamgee. Yeah, I should have said DJ Samwise Gamgee. Gamgee. Advice for DJ Samwise Gamgee. Stand by your Frodo. Don't go swimming. Yeah, don't go swimming. Don't go swimming, yeah. Yeah, and speaking of don't go swimming, Maya! Maya! You're Mrs. Bombadil. (laughs) Find your Tom. Find your Mm. Tom. Bad advice, generally speaking. Because isn't Tom kind of a nomenclature for like you a could, guy you, that kind of Tom cats around? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you didn't find a dude. Find your Tom Bombadil. Find a fellow. Somebody eccentric and weird. Yep. And someone that stands outside the saga. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. Oh, man. You would be. Who would be cold? And who would love cheese? Worm tongue? Uh, no, I can't have them be worm tongue, Nathan. Well, who's cold? Who's cold in those stories? Everybody when they try to take that mountain pass. Yeah, so you're the, you're those people. The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> you're the Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> hey, that's pretty cool. Jane Kennedy. <laughs> you're Gimli and Legolas. <laughs> yes, you're Gimli. Well, she's got to be a woman. Legolas. Yeah, yeah, like sure. Works. You're Gimli and Legolas. That's pretty good Lego. You're good at shooting arrows. Started <laughs> yeah. a bunch of pirates of the Caribbean. Is there Caribbean. anybody? Uh, advice for the Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese? Stay together. Yeah. Very good advice for all married couples. See those woods of fame. Mm-hmm. And the minds of whatever. Benny T and Dana T. Benny T and Dana T. Oh, man. You can be whoever you want to be. As long as you believe in your heart. As long as you believe in your heart. You can be. There really are not that many women characters in Lord of the Rings. Nope. I am now finding that this is true. Misogynist. Misogynist, J.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. You can be. Just make her a man. It's okay. It's an upgrade. Just make her a man? <laughs> that was a misogynist joke, and I'd like to apologize to everyone. Fine, then you can be Gandalf and Frodo. Hey, advice for Gandalf and Frodo? It's got to be advice for them together. Mm-hmm. That's a little trickier, isn't it? Uh, my don't, advice to them would be... Uh, not, don't worry about what to do with the time that is given you. Or all worry only to, about what to do with the time that is given you. All you have to do is choose what to do with the time that is... Yeah. You shall not pass would also be acceptable good, advice. Yeah. But you, you're the advice giver, Jake. You do what you want. Only worry about the time that's given to you. And you shall not pass. Uh, Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds. And little baby X. And little baby X. Oh, man, you guys are. Um, the guy who shoots the arrow into the dragon. Bard the bowman? Bard the bowman and his uh, son. No, he has got a wife. Yeah. He's got a wife. Not in the movie. Yeah, but in the book he does. Does he? Sure. In the... <laughs> Pretty sure in the book we don't bard. meet him until it's like, and there was a bard named Bowman. But he does and he now. he shot the dragon with an arrow and it bard took the all bowman. of three sentences. Bard the Bowman has a wife. Okay, Mrs. Bowman. Mrs. Bowman. Fair enough. Your advice for Mrs. Bowman and Mr. Rule Lake Town well. Nice. Do it. Very good advice. And that and clean up, Professor X and Mrs. X, of course. Professor X and Mrs. X, of course. They are... So beautiful mm-hmm. to me. Oh, we're not named. Can't be Boromir. You can be Farmer. Oh, Farmer. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, de- we determined that women are no longer, they change characters after they're married. Yes. So they're Farmer and Eowyn after they get married. Hey, nice. There we go. And the advice? Wear funeral pyres for living people. Yeah, especially your dad. Yep. <laughs> really just all funeral <laughs> pyres for living people. I wouldn't narrow it down all that much. <laughs> You really want to be careful about those, in my opinion. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear some music so we can get to the credits. Da-dum, ba-da-dum, da-dum. 
<laughs> that was the music I wanted. <laughs> and you just keep that music going, and I'll 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 give I can give the credits. The beginning today. Written by Nathan Alverson and Jacob Menzel and Brandon Chastain, really. Why hog credit? Uh, produced by Nathan. Executive produced by Jake and Nathan. Hey, Jake, what should they do? Rate and review in iTunes, please. It helps so much. And uh, support our work on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash the booking. Any amount will do a dollar, four dollars, ten dollars, ten dollars gives you a donor shout out. I feel like you have to shout over these guys singing. <laughs> Twenty-five dollars is a cool reward, fifty dollars is a cool reward. If you go to patreon.com forward slash booking and check out the rewards, you will surely find something for you. Wow. It was really great that Jody and Phil could come in and do that for us. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Jody and Phil. Special thanks to Jody and Phil for providing the ending music and for doing a great job. See you next time, folks, for the morality of Harry Potter, part five. Part five of the Harry Potter series, part one of the morality of Harry Potter. Thanks for listening.